Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. So let's jump right into it with our opening drive. It's time for the opening opening drive. All right, Dan, so you mentioned Matt Eberflus at the podium. I have to say, (laughs) he definitely sounded like a typical... NFL head coach, ambiguity galore. It was confusing because the range of possibilities as we sit here right now remains day-to-day, which I don't buy, to season ending, which I think they're closer to. My sense after listening to him just based on experience and just talking to some people based on what the injury looked like, I would be shocked if he plays on Sunday against the Jets, but I don't know the severity, so I can't say beyond that. Look, we know Justin's pain tolerance and we know his desire to play. And so he's obviously going to try to get on the fastest track to get back on the field. But the Bears understand that this is an investment that they have to protect. And they're three and eight and they're going to New York. Uh, and you don't want to throw out your your second year quarterback with uh, a compromised shoulder, given the, the, the style that they play with. Right. It would just be absolute kamikaze method <laughs> for the Bears to attempt at this stage of where they're at. Uh, I don't know why so difficult for some of these coaches in the league to just be forward with that. I don't know what you're gaining at three and eight uh, in this season to try to pull a, a fast one on the jets. We're going to know pretty quickly on, uh, on Wednesday when we see who's taking the practice reps and where Justin's at. Listen, Justin's usually scheduled to do his, uh, weekly press conference on Wednesdays before practice. And so it'll be interesting to see if the Bears attempt to keep this charade going all the way up until practice begins on Wednesday by sending Justin to the podium at Hallis Hall. And then we'll, we'll see what direction that goes. Look, I, I, I think smart money and an educated guest tells you that Trevor Simeon is going to be on the football field on Sunday in New York. And so uh, we had a chance today to, to, to talk to, to both Matty Refluse and Dave Montgomery about how that changes things for the offense, because we know that a, a month plus ago, they, they reconfigured the entirety of this offense around Justin Fields' skill set. And we know Trevor Simeon isn't that right. And so there is going to be some adjustment this week. Um, but before we get to that, why don't we, why don't we go in and listen to, to the back and forth? I, and I don't know if you have any, Anything else to say before we hear hear Matt Eberflus's whole back and forth on this? Issue? I'll set it up this way, just by saying that if you went to Matt Eberflus's news conference today expecting to find answers, 
you're still looking to find some answers. And here's a, how he handled that today. Now, what's the, the latest that you know on, on Justin's shoulder? Yeah, so it, right now it's obviously you guys know the injury report comes out Wednesday. And right now it's day to day. We'll see where he is on Wednesday. So we got time and we'll see where it is and go from there. Do you believe he can play on Sunday? We'll see where it goes day to day. We'll see. We've got to evaluate it, you know, on Wednesday, and then we'll see where it is from there. Have you been able to rule out whether it's season ending or not? We have not ruled that out at this point. We'll see where it is on Wednesday. All right. How would you describe <laughs> what you heard from Matt Eberflus? Because there were chuckles along the way. I understand the competitive advantage. You do. I guess. Well, I under. Let me let me rephrase that. I am used to the NFL head coach citing the competitive advantage and being vague about injury status, but I don't and never really have understood it necessarily because especially in this case, Dan, what's ironic and and kind of um, uh, amusing, I suppose, Justin Fields could not be more transparent about where it hurts, right? (laughs) He's massaging his hamstring. He's telling you his shoulder. He wants to fight through this. And you can tell grimacing exactly what part of his body hurts at any given time. And then you have Matt Eberflus saying, well, don't don't look at that. And no competitive advantage. So how, how would you describe what he's trying to accomplish by being intentionally vague? Uh, He thinks it's going to help them beat the jets, but I, I roll my eyes at this. This is the fifth head coach that I've had a chance to cover in the the National Football League. And I've seen enough around this league to understand that you beat other teams by playing your best football against them, right? Like it's not decided by injury report games during the week. I've never seen a game decided by injury report games during the week. We used to have this argument with John Fox all the time who took the same approach and always cited it's a competitive advantage, it's a competitive advantage, and then lost 34 of his 48 games here in town, right? And you said, boy, John, I would hate to see what your teams would have looked like (laughs) if you didn't have those competitive advantages with the injuries, right? And so it's just, it's something that that football coaches uh, convince themselves is working in their favor. I know there's a subsection of the population that thinks anything you can do to, to to conceal stuff from the opponent and screw over the media cheer let's have a parade for that but i think this is just a game that that is leading us down a you know a path that's just a a week full of questions until we get the answer and ultimately what we should be focusing on is what happens then right and how long is justin out for and and where do we go but I, yeah I don't, I don't know you've been around longer than i in this city and in this league to 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 form an opinion on, on what you think this competitive advantage strategy really does well, I'll tell you this. In this case, and I'm not defending it, I'm trying to understand it better, but I will say this, that the longer that that Matt Eberflus uh, confirms that Trevor Simeon is going to be the primary starter, even though it's a, it's in a, it's a reasonable assumption for the Jets to make, the longer, though, he waits, the more the Jets have to prepare some defensive packages for – the event that Justin Fields does play. They're two very different schemes, and they'd be two very different game plans. We saw against the Falcons what happens when a team can prepare specifically to to stop the zone read, when they can can prepare to disguise coverages or play quarters in a way that is more conservative with that shell in the secondary. So my thought would be, from a football coach's perspective, as – as, as insular as that life is, and they're in that bunker, that every day, every hour, for goodness sakes, that they can buy making the opponent think that they're going to maybe play the other guy, and the other guy in this case is so dramatically different stylistically, then I kind of get it. But what I think was worth the biggest chuckle was that 
He's day to day. Oh, but he might be out for the season. That's the wide range that I don't understand. If you're just going to play coy, play coy. But that disparity in, in sort of when he's coming back was just ridiculous. Right. And the way they talked about Trevor was, you know, we were talking about it in the press room afterwards. It was almost like, I don't know if you're a Rounders fan, but it's like uh, Teddy KGB twisting the Orioles, right? It's a tell that, that you know, you, you know, you're probably going to have to go down that path and, and play Trevor Simeon. Now the question is, is right. Like it, 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 uh, would Bears fans be distraught or disconcerted if Trevor Simeon went on the road in New York and got a victory. <laughs> I said that this morning, Dan. I said the way this is setting up is that Trevor Simeon is going to have all of Chicago mad at him Monday morning because he's going to go and beat the Jets, and he's going to get the passing game clicking. And that's not a knock at Justin Fields. Please don't, you know, the sensitive uh, defenders of, of Justin, that's not what that is. It's just that with Trevor Simeon, you're going to lean into the other way. You're going to go into the ball control passing game the short timing routes, because that's what he's good at. He's also a better athlete than people give him credit for. Let's wait and see. But if he is indeed the starter, I wouldn't be surprised if the offense continues to function at a, at a very good high level and they score some points because I think that he can move the football if he gets in rhythm and if he's not rusty and builds some confidence quickly. Don't forget that Thanksgiving week is commonly the rise of the Chicago Bears backup quarterback. We had right. Chase Daniel in 2018 going and leading a victory for the Bears in Detroit. We had Andy Dalton last year going in a very tumultuous week. We were joking in the press box on Sunday afternoon that uh, Andy Dalton led a, a, a victory in one of the, the most turbulent times in, in the uh, the history of the Chicago Bears last year at Thanksgiving at this time. This was while Andy was throwing three touchdown passes for the Saints on Sunday afternoon. It's just a, 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 an aside to say that the red rifle still got it right and the bears may have missed out kidding of course uh but look like th these things happen we don't we couldn't recall and we'll have to go look this up when matt barkley uh took over his for his uh run of backup quarterback starts and and obviously he had a couple victories in there at least one maybe it was just one uh <laughs> that that invigorated chicago for a weekend so we'll see which direction this goes obviously you don't want an interruption to justin field's development right and and, and the curve that he was on and the progress he was making and so now you kind of got to look at all this, right? And figure all this out because, okay, so if Justin sits Sunday in New York, you come back to host the Packers and following that game against the Packers, you have the bye week. So the calendar kind of sets up for you nicely to say, okay, we can get you three weeks here, right? Off and you'll only miss two games and there'll still be some, some football to play another four games to close the season off. Maybe that's the practical way to go. Again, we still need more details on the severity of the injury and exactly what they're dealing with and how it, how it leaves Justin vulnerable, but there's a lot to sift through. But I think it bears repeating or reinforcing right now is that as this sort of unfolds, there is value in him returning. And I think it would be a detriment to his development if he were to shut it down this season. It would be unfortunate, I think, in a lot of different levels, and not just because of that means it's a, it's a more serious injury than we think, but also because I think that you don't want to impede the progress that he has made, and you want to compartmentalize an injury within that season. So if he gets hurt in 2022, you don't want it to be until 2023 that he returns because you want him to yeah. go into the offseason with some momentum. And I think that's important for the development of a young quarterback to can see that sort of uh, 
progress realized at the end of the season going into next year. Well, and you're hopeful that this injury does not require surgery, right? Like some guys can play through things for the last six, six games and then require an offseason procedure that, that then just kind of, you know, interrupts and, and detours the, the offseason progress, right. And the training and everything there. And so there's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, you know, the bears offense coming off a performance that, that by their recent standards is disappointing. I think it's a, a compliment to the bears that a 24 point outing felt so hollow, right? Right? Because they've done so much in the last month to show you that they can score, they can be explosive, they can get things going. And so yesterday or Sunday, rather, just felt like one of those uh, one of those afternoons where it just particularly in the second half, it just wasn't clicking. And, and so now you've got to get your arms around that. And you might have to do that now uh, going forward without Justin Fields. I think we would probably both agree that the loss of Khalil Herbert was bigger than maybe we expected on Sunday as well, because the Bears running attack was not the same running attack without him. I'd acknowledge that. I think they missed him more than I thought that they would. Before we dig into the QB1 um, category, I want to get into a couple other things that came up at Matt Eberflus's Monday press conference. So the thing that I thought was interesting in terms of dissecting that last drive, you know, the first designed run and where he got hit out of bounds, I will maintain that to me that was a bad football call. I would like to have seen a rollout, a pass play, Minute 47. Okay, we can argue with that. Brad Biggs on, on the Molly and Haw show came back at a little bit at me, and, and we talked about it, and that's fine because I think that it's a def- defensible position and a good debate. What happened on second down to me wasn't <laughs> because it was a Justin Fields run up the middle, a draw play that was supposed to go to David Montgomery, and, oh, okay, well, it was a mistake, so Justin Fields took it after getting injured. So I still think that we'll get caught up in what the mistake was and get caught up in that it was a mistake. But bottom line, Dan, it still was a running play that I don't understand. Well, here's a situation. Number one, that's a bigger piece of news coming out of here today than, than just about anything. And with Matt Eberflus acknowledging that that second down play was supposed to be a halfback draw and a give to Montgomery. And so for those who were calling for Luke Getze's head for, for taking an injured quarterback and putting him in harm's way, there was a miscommunication there that caused that, right? And then, and then Justin takes another hit and uh, the hit was on his right side. And so it did not, even though he grimaced and held his left shoulder, he did not take a direct hit to that left shoulder on the play. I don't have a major problem with a, a halfback draw in that situation because, look, they've got timeouts and they've got enough time on the clock. They've got a, a chance to go down the field. They only need a field goal to tie the game. And so, you, you know, you're not you're not playing under this desperate circumstance where where the, the time and score is against you to such a level that you can't get that done. We know the difficulties that this offense has had passing the ball in the fourth quarter and in game, uh, you know, deciding situations. And so shorten your third down, right? And they did. You know, they got to third and five. And that's that's what's being lost in all this is you're still at third and five, right? Like you got two downs to get five yards to keep that drive going. And on third down, your quarterback makes, uh, you know, he's very slow getting through his reads, doesn't get to the check down fast enough. By the time he gets to the check down, his footwork is all off and he shows poor fundamentals and does kind of a a hop like, you know, double play ball throw over the middle and 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 throws high to David Montgomery and it hits his hands and it gets picked off by Jalen Hawkins. And and for those who are are arguing that that it wasn't a bad ball and that David Montgomery should have caught it, 
the pass is thrown three yards beyond the line of scrimmage. If you miss a pass that badly accuracy-wise, three yards beyond the line of scrimmage, that blame never goes on the running back who leaps and his outstretched arms get his hands on the ball. Yeah, maybe it would have been a great catch by David Montgomery, but please, like, let's let's keep the 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 <laughs> the focus where it needs to be focused. It's a bad play and it and it, and it sealed the loss, right? And that, that's reality. And so, uh, you know, third and five situations in game deciding moments, those are the the challenges that we've been asking now for a month for the Bears to, to find a way to meet. And they have it. Maybe they eventually will. But we need to see evidence that they're going in that direction to believe it. And, and they haven't shown it. And that was another missed opportunity there. Fair enough. That's a good explanation. I also wonder and will always wonder if those first two running calls by Luke Getze and okay, you, you, the, the draw play might have been okay, but you come out and you have two runs in your mind. I still think from a conventional NFL perspective in that situation, you, that to me re, kind of suggests you don't have a lot of faith in the passing game. And Correct. You, haven't, you haven't executed in, in the passing game in the fourth quarter, but I still think you have to try until you do that because so, you have a young quarterback. It brings up a, a, a deeper discussion that's probably worth having and we can have part of it now, but it's number one, of course they don't have uh, confidence in their passing attack. It's the 32nd ranked passing offense of the league. They have the highest interception rate of any team in the NFL. And so, yeah, of course there's concern there. I think that the question is, is in those situations, are you attempting to win a football game? Are you keeping in the back of your mind the idea that a, a young quarterback needs to develop experience in these moments to, you know, figure out who he is and how to, how to best capitalize. And so that's sort of this, this strange question that the bears are going to face for the rest of the year is how they keep the short term and the long term in the same puzzle and figure it all out. Because I, you know, look, I'll, every one of these experiences, even though they failed on three consecutive uh, game ending drives, the last three weeks, I think every one of these experiences is valuable for sure. the quarterback and every other guy who's going to be part of this offense beyond this year. Uh, they just have to get one in the right Column one of these weeks just to get that confidence and that library and that inventory of success that will ultimately help them. It just bothered me because I think what they did during the mini bye week in the in sort of the the reconfiguration of the offense that changed the direction of the season and allowed Justin Fields to become what he has. That was bold. There was some boldness involved in doing that. And yeah. what I think that we saw in that final drive was anything but bold. It was very conservative, and it was essentially playing not to make a mistake. And whereas, you're right, there's a lot to lose when you have the, the lowest-ranked passing offense in the NFL, but you were playing against the second-worst pass defense in the NFL. So if ever an opportunity presented itself yes. for growth, it was there. And so I would have liked to seen, you know, when's the last time the Bears successfully ran a quick slant to one of their wide receivers as a, as a, you know, and get yards after the catch? How about freeing up Cole Komet on a simple run, run flood of zone and, and, and scheme him open somehow? Why not run a rub route or a pick route and get somebody else going in the flat, get out of bounds? And I think those are the kinds of things I would have liked to have I would have preferred to have seen rather than, okay, Justin, go make something happen. Okay, he didn't do that. Let's run a draw play to David Montgomery. Oh, look, we can't figure out who's going to get the handoff. So there goes our quarterback. I just didn't like the football aspect and the and the practice. It wasn't very practical and, and it wasn't real. Um, smart football from Luke Getze, and that's a surprise to me. Well, I understand what you're saying. I would also say that Luke Getze went into that drive believing that they were going to have more than three plays. 
right? And so that's what people are missing in this. You know, there was a few things on social media saying they only gave Justin a chance to throw it once on the last drive. It was like, yeah, the one time he threw it, he gave the ball to the other team. And so they didn't get to continue the drive. Like that's how football works. And so like they were hoping to put together, you know, a 10 or 11 play drive that either got him a field goal or a, 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 a game winning touchdown. Right. And so, so just because they, they didn't connect doesn't mean there weren't plans there to give him an opportunity to throw. Um, yeah, you know, and then we can we can dive deeper into the entirety of the day for Justin and the offense. But yeah, it's it's something they're going to have to juggle going forward, and it's going to be really interesting if we get multiple weeks of Trevor Simeon to just to see what this offense looks like. Right? It'll be a good litmus test. One more thought before we move on. Uh, it came up on Monday that the Bears every week send plays to the league about <laughs> Justin Fields getting hit, and Shaquan Brisker was very candid to the point where I wonder if he's going to hear from the league later this week about how the officials do not call penalties on Justin Fields that they would call on other quarterbacks. It's a valid point, and it's a good discussion. I will add this to it, and, and I don't think it's unpopular, but it is something that's obvious to see. Justin Fields, he's, especially on that second down slide, where he might have aggravated that injury again, when he slid and the defensive players pursuing him collided with him in a way that was violent and, and it looked bad, I don't know what they should have done. I don't know what they could have done to avoid the contact there. If right. that were a bear player sliding into Marcus Mariota in the same type of circumstance, I don't know that I think the, the, the feeling in Chicago might be a little different because they, <laughs> put think? The, they put the defender in a very awkward spot because it's like you're pursuing this, this, this running back playing quarterback, and then all of a sudden you're supposed to put the brakes on because he goes into a slide like he's going into third. I, I think well, I, I understand why those things happen. What you brought up there is why I didn't have a problem with the non-call on the other one that people were upset about where Justin's knee was on the ground. Like his left knee was on the ground, but his right knee was kind of up. And in live action, it was hard to tell whether that knee touched down. Right. Mm -hmm. And for a guy who three or four times in that game had four defenders on his back and slithered out and and kept plays alive, you don't want, number one, it's hard to officiate that and and, and then call a, a, a roughing the passer or a necessary roughness there. Number two, Bears fans don't want these officials to get quick whistles and say, no, no, he's down, you know, blow the whistle, blow the whistle, right? Right. Like, you know, you want to have Justin be able to use those gifts and use his strength and his athleticism to make plays the way he has. So it's a really hard thing to officiate. I will say this, like, you know, I pushed back on, on the, the Bernstein and Holmes show on Monday afternoon that there is this, um, surplus right of moments where justin's not getting enough of these calls i i don't see that necessarily like we were 11 games in i watch every play you know two and three times every week and i if you can provide me a list of a specific examples i think the one that you mentioned on the final drive there the second down play i think that a hundred percent has to be called just given the way that that those plays are are called across the league i think it 200 percent has to be called if you're going to call kyler gordon for a personal foul for touching marcus marietto's ankle bone right like i don't know what that call was that was there was an inconsistency there and a discrepancy there that that it, the the outrage is justified in Chicago that those two plays are officiated differently. But I've looked it up, David, since the preseason finale, Justin has drawn six personal foul penalties on opponents, right? Like I haven't done the numbers for the other quarterbacks in the league. We could, you know, start with Hertz and, and uh, Josh Allen and, and, and um, Lamar Jackson and these other guys who, who, who use the run to an advantage. But I would doubt that, that any of those guys are above five or six 
you know, unnecessary roughness and roughing the passer calls drawn for them. And so, like, I think that, you know, it's in the heat of the moment, it's easy to say, oh, we're getting hosed and, and he's not getting enough calls. I asked Matt Eberflus directly how many of those, per, you know, he sent in this season. He says he thinks it's one or two per week. Surprised me because I, I don't see that in the library of, of, you know, Justin doesn't get hit on slides or, you know, late in the pocket a lot. He's either sacked or he's, you know, getting pushed out of bounds or whatever it is. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I need to take a deeper look at it. I don't know where you are on that. Well, I think that it also just reinforces how he can also uh, his ability to protect himself or his need to improve the way that he protects himself has been a topic of conversation for a while now. And his slides do tend to be rather awkward. And I do think he exposes part of his body and he's kind of sort of maybe sliding. So it's a little bit odd. And I also think it's this, it's like, you know, I've never owned a Ferrari, but if I did and I got it home and I drove it off out of the lot and I got it home and then I sat in my driveway overnight and I got up in the morning, I look at it like, oh boy, there, there's a smudge there. Oh, there's a smudge there. You notice things more when you have a rare right. anything. And this rare quarterback, just where, where other people might, you might shrug it off. When you see it happen to him, you're like, oh my gosh. And all of a sudden, the next three to five years flash in front of your eyes and you're like, this is way too valuable for him to be treated that way. So you're like, okay, get to, let's let's wipe him clean. Let's protect him. Let's put him in the garage, and um, and you never drive him except for to the store and back. Well, so you want to be ultra, ultra, ultra careful. What's going to be really interesting for Justin when he comes back from this injury is just how aggressive he is, right? Like you, we saw in Mitch Trubisky after he got that shoulder injury when he took that late hit from Harrison Smith in 2018 that he was never really the same uh, aggressive runner, right? Like when he was trying to make plays off script out of the pocket. And I, I think he was affected, right? Like I think subconsciously or consciously was affected by that hit that knocked him out for a couple games. And so you, you hope that, that this injury for Justin isn't something that makes him a little bit shy uh, to do the things that make him so gifted. Right. And so it would just be something to track as we go forward to, to, to see where he's at. They're totally different players and, and, and totally different guys. Right. And so we'll see where it goes. But, but it, it, it is, it is history worth at least mentioning because it did change how aggressively Mitch looked to run the football and it did alter the course of his development because of that because he was one of those guys like a lot of young quarterbacks the better he ran the more accurate he threw yeah no doubt about it